the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. Good morning, Dan and Amy. Our next guest, Douglas Murray, you may know from his uh, outspoken defense of uh, well, just the rule of law in Europe uh, as it pertains to immigration, uh, as well as uh, opposition to what became known as European multiculturalism was really sort of a surrender to uh, uh, to uh, the open borders crowd that President Trump has refused to surrender to, uh, and specifically the willingness to call Islamic extremism what it was during the height of uh, some of the terrorist attacks in Western Europe. He's got a new book out, The Madness of Crowds. Douglas Murray, associate of The Spectator, joins us now. Douglas, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate it. It's a great pleasure to be with you. Thank you. So um, well, I want to go back a little bit to your, your previous uh uh, focus in a minute, but uh, Thomas Sowell is uh, famous for observing many things, including that the least intelligent form of life is a committee. In uh, your new book, uh, I'm taking it that perhaps you're suggesting that the most deranged form of life is a crowd. Oh, yes, and I think there's little doubt about that. Uh, the problem with crowds, among much else, is that they stampede and they take out um, uh, errant opinions, which can often turn out to be true. And my contention is that on a whole range of issues, including sex, uh, gender, sexual orientation, race, relations between the sexes, and much, much more, we have become incapable of having honest conversations in our society because anyone who dares to do it has the mob come right at them. Yeah, and you you break up the book into uh, four chapters uh uh, gay, women, race, and trans. Uh, oh, yeah, that's... <laughs> big categories. Uh, but let's uh, speak to, to trans, uh, the transgender rights movement. And, um, and how do you see that connected to some of the other uh, sociopolitical movements of recent times, a marriage redefinition, uh, some of the, uh, the, uh, the, the, the advocacy for entitlements based on race. Uh, do you see a connection between all of these movements, sort of one after the other, in, at least in terms of uh, pronouncement? I do, because uh, I've noticed in recent years, as I'm sure many of your listeners have, that all of these issues, gay, race, women, trans, have, have become weaponized, as well as being the basis of almost everyday's news. Uh, somebody has said the wrong thing or done the wrong thing, thought the wrong thing. And quite often, that's uh, something that everyone thought until yesterday, 
that everyone now has to pretend that they've changed their mind on. And the most striking example of this is trans. It's the latest tripwire issue. It's a minority of a minority issue, but it's very telling and very interesting in itself. And the reason why I finished with a chat on trans is we have not been able to think through publicly what this actually is. And I'm very interested in it. I do, I think, a very humane, careful analysis of what the plausible things and claims within this are and what the things are that are totally implausible and cannot be acquiesced to. And the striking thing to me is that that the uh, radical left in particular, the, the people who advocate these crazy uh, claims about intersectionality and so on, things that have spilled out from the American uh, liberal academy, uh, claim that all of the issues I write about in this book intersect that they are that we live in a patriarchal white supremacist society and that all minorities which they include women in of course not a minority but that all minorities uh, intersect with their claims and that to unlock one claim is to unlock them all and i show among other things in the madness of crowds but this is a deranging claim because it is demonstrably false because just to give one very quick example the claims that the trans movement make run completely against the claims of women's rights. And you can, you can take one uh, or the other, but you cannot take both in the way we're being invited to at the moment. You cannot, for instance, agree, as we are being asked to believe, that trans is a hardware born this way issue, but that being a woman is a matter of choice. You know, you can run one of those programs, but not both. And one of the reasons why our public discussion on these things is so febrile at the moment is because we are being asked to simultaneously believe things that cannot both be true. That's true. Do you think we're catering too much to the transgender community? Well, my um, point is that we need to work out what the plausible claims are and what the implausible ones are. And I say, for instance, that... Again, we have these claims of, you know, people are told that they're phobic, among other things, if they even raise an eyebrow about some of this. And I'm very open to the debate on all of these issues. You know, I happen to be gay myself, and my chapter on gay asks some very difficult questions, which a lot of people, including gay rights activists, have not wanted to ask for a generation. But my, my claim, among others, on the trans issue is it's not phobic to be asking questions and to be skeptical when, for instance, people are claiming that, they, that we should be giving drugs to children and then experimenting on them medically. You know, it doesn't seem obvious to me that this is something we should just wave past uh, in a sort of, you know, this is the latest right since the civil rights struggle and this is just the latest one and that if you raise an eyebrow or, or ask a question about this now that history will deem you to be as bigoted as, you know, I know Jim Crow or something. I, 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 I don't agree with this and I think that the bullying manner in our society of shutting down discussion is meaning that we're going to be doing things in this generation which our successors will look at and think, what were they thinking? Uh, and it, it seems to me that it's um, one of the uh, insights that the cultural Marxists, as I would describe them, have is to use sort of the soft uh, celebration of the the identity politics 
as a way to crowd out dissent. So, for example, uh, this week, Mattel releases gender-neutral Barbies in an effort to be more inclusive. Uh, you've got to children in drag shows because we want to, and, 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 boy, you, and, hey, you can't attack children. Hey, stop attacking children if you disagree right. with the drag shows. Hey, 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 you're attacking children. So you can't argue with it. And thus, what, the, what they're actually doing is saying that tolerance is not enough. Acceptance is yeah. not enough. Celebration is mandatory, and tolerance, acceptance, and celebration become synonymous in the world. Yes, and that, and that it's good for you. But this is, this is one of the things I go into, because, you see, my belief is that in recent years, on each of these issues, people have recognized that basically it's covered in landmines. You know, it's just not worth going there. Uh, we see people's careers completely destroyed by thinking uh, publicly about things that everybody else is thinking about. And you know, I know from my own experience and my readers and people I speak to all around the world about these issues, what I know is that people have a conversation in private, often slightly fearfully with their loved ones, which they wouldn't dare to have out in the public square. And my belief is that that's extremely unhealthy for society. It's unhealthy to pretend that we know things that we don't know, uh, things like trans. And it's also unhealthy to pretend that we don't know things everyone knew till yesterday, like the relations between the sexes. And, and so my, my self-appointed task, as one of, the, one of the people in our society that doesn't have to just say what everyone tells me to and isn't subject to a wobbly hierarchy. I mean, I think the striking thing about a lot of this is that, is that corporates and the business world is all sucking in this stuff wholesale. You know, I think it's incumbent upon those of us who are not answerable in that way to say out loud uh, some of the things people are saying and to ask the questions which our society should be asking. Yeah, it seems to me, too, a concern is... Um part of the, the distinction, part of the result of the distinction you make between what people say and understand to be true in private versus what they're willing to defend in public leads uh, to, you know, looking for outlets of revolt. And thus you get Brexit. Thus you get a President Trump. But if uh, those things are undone the way that uh, Brexit is, uh, the, the way the political class in Britain is trying to undo Brexit, the way the political class in America trying to undo Trump, then I think it's demoralizing for people, and they're much more likely to succumb if you don't have people, uh, authors, journalists, commentators, politicians, uh, saying in public what think people are, are thinking in private and be willing to suffer the slings and arrows and hash it out in public. That's right. And, you know, one of the things I try to demonstrate in this book is that occasionally you see the nakedly political nature of some of this. This isn't to say that everyone is gay or every woman or, any, or everyone is not white or anything else is involved in this. Far, far from it. My point is that you can demonstrate and see at this stage that some political activists have been in recent years deliberately utilizing minority groups as a weapon for a political aim. Let me give you a, quick, a couple of examples, if I may. Um, uh, 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 Peter Thiel, the Silicon Valley tech billionaire, comes out for Trump in the 2016 uh, Republican convention. And he is immediately denounced by the main gay magazine in America as being no longer gay. Right. They, right. Say, right. they say he may, he may be attracted to men, but in no other way is he gay. Now, I started to notice a pattern here. When Kanye West comes out in support of Donald Trump, 
The main uh, uh, liberal magazine from New York, The Atlantic, runs a piece by the most celebrated black writer of his generation, perhaps the most celebrated writer of his generation wholesale, Tanahisi Coates, a very talented writer. But Tanahisi Coates writes a piece saying Kanye West is no longer black. Mm-hmm. And we see this in the feminist movement, where Jermaine Greer, because she doesn't agree with the latest claim about, about uh, trans, is denounced as no longer being a feminist. And you know, if Peter Thiel isn't gay and Kanye West isn't black and Jermaine Greer isn't a feminist, then the question we have to ask is, what are you actually doing here? And what they are doing is a naked political use of minority groups for a political purpose. It's to say being gay isn't about being gay. It's about being a left-wing activist. Being black isn't about being black. It's about being a left-wing activist, and so on. So I think, although this isn't the entire story, I try to uncover the whole story in the book, this is one element of it, the naked using of minority groups as a political battering ram. He is Douglas Murray. He's the associate editor of The Spectator. His previous best-selling book, The Strange Death of Europe, you should pick up, as well as his new book that we were just discussing, The Madness of Crowds, The Madness of Crowds. Douglas Murray, thanks so much for joining us. Good luck with the book. Thank you. It's a great pleasure. Hey, thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt. Our podcast is sponsored by Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF provides help at no cost to those whose liberty is being violated, but they can't do it without your help. Call 800-691-8969. That's 800-691-8969. Or visit townhallreview.com. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.